Hey all, Alan here, and welcome to A Journey's Rest, a podcast focused on the vast but deep set of topics about the complexity and joy of roleplay games. Whether you need to attune to a magic item, regain some hit points, change out spells, or just reminisce with friends, here we just sit down for around about an hour and enjoy ourselves. This week, a new challenger approaches. Zach and I have our friend Austin on to talk about world building and what ways we evolve the lore of our individual games. Which one of us has sold our soul to the gods of story and song just to make game nights feel slightly less corny? All this and more. Hope you enjoy. Wonderful. And the podcast has commenced. Um, everyone, please sit down and buckle your seatbelts. Uh, it's going to be a long flight. Uh, yeah, possibly possibly a bumpy flight, too. We've got a lot of cool, turbulent ideas to offer to you today. Hi, everybody. I'm Alan. I'm Zach. And we have a I'm guest pooping. today, and his name is... My name is Austin. Oh, I was, I was actually <laughs> expecting you, you to like, do Austin. a code name. Because, like, we had Jerry for so long, and I, you I seemed tantalized. Say, Austin is my code name. Oh, I mean... Austin. I, I mean, duh. Of Austin. Okay, I'll just go back and I'll erase all of that. So Wait. just give me a second here, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have our friend Austin on with us today. Um, we have an awesome podcast lined up for you. Um, today, we kind of started talking about this podcast episode, and we wanted to kind of get to the roots of where we all had came from because we've all played with each other so much and we've kind of I think I would like to think that we've all kind of inspired each other in how we DM and how we play um and for me as we started talking about this it's like wow like you know how um how do we get to the core of like how this game operates for us and what that inspiration boils down to is kind of like how we build our games, right? And how we want to be a DM and things like that. So I think that we're going to talk about, um, you know, some like world building. And it, so you want to be a DM? Let's figure out how to world build. World building it is. Um, all right. So for for those who somehow don't know what world building is, world building is exactly what it sounds like. It's building a world. Typically, in this case, a fantasy world, but not always. You could maybe be building a sci-fi world or something like that. Um, and we're talking about this today. This is going to be more of like almost an instructional podcast, one would hope. Maybe in the kind of vague, chaotic way that we go about these things. Yeah, we're not allowed um, to have any fun today. So if you hear any laughs, no um, fun. It's, <laughs> uh, you have to like start ticking up a counter. And for every laugh that we have, um, you have to send us a very nasty email. So yep. just keep that in mind. Okay? It's your responsibility. Yes. <laughs> as an audience member to berate us. Yes. Belligerently. Yes. <laughs> at all hours of the day. Uh -huh. You need to make me uncomfortable. On every That's social media do. platform that you can, and make it so that those social media platforms feel like we have engagement. And it's definitely not a ploy to make you want to engage with our social media platforms at all. Definitely not. Definitely. And you know what? You don't have to limit it. Like, you can fight with each other, too. Yeah. Fight amongst yourselves. Fight amongst in yourselves. In real life or on the internet. And or both. Bada bing, bada boom. You've got a D&D &D game. You're fighting amongst yourselves. PvP. <laughs> We've already got it. You have understood the concepts. And secretly, you've gotten to the where we wanted you to be. So, everybody, 
how do you world build? We've got like, I think we want to do examples, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, what do what would we like to start with? Actually, would Austin? Do you guys want to just launch right into it and just talk about uh, uh, the Krieg right away, or do you want to have a little bit of a buffer before that? I think that we should kind of give some examples, and then we should yeah, go to the Krieg sure. later, so that we have the examples first, and then yeah. we go into actually building that. You know? Absolutely. Cool. I mean, I'll say this: um, world building is my domain. I love it. I actually do it more than I play the game. Um, <laughs> I do it for things that have nothing to do with d and I, I world build in my sleep. Like, it's it's kind of an addiction. <laughs> so, when it comes to a new DM des- designing their own world, or e- not even a new DM, but just somebody who's never done it before, or, you know, even if you have done it and you want some tips and tricks from someone who definitely only kind of knows what they're doing... <laughs> Well, that's your judgment call to make. But I think that the best place to start as a DM is to think about yourself. Where do you start? Where do you want to start? What kind of world do you want to run? What kind of game do you want to run? And a component of that is like a session zero. Where do your players want to start? All that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the really basic stuff is like, all right, fantasy, sci-fi, modern day if that's what you're into there was a d20 modern system when that was a whole thing yeah um you you can mix and uh, uh mess with these things you could do dark fantasy high fantasy all kinds of crazy stuff right um that's the first element designing what you want but you honestly don't really need an answer to that question to start you just need to start doing stuff and making things that you think are cool yep in my case when i'm world building I pretty much spend every waking moment of my life observing the universe and the world for things that are cool. And I will remember these things or put them in a document or write them down and interpret them into the game that I'm building later on. Um, I'm building a world right now in which I was very fascinated by nature documentaries. So I just made a ton of different sentient bugs and animals and put them in the game. And that's that's what I've been doing for nice. the past like four months. Yeah, and here's the um, thing though, like when you start doing world building, it doesn't have to be crazy complicated, right? Like you don't have no. to start in the game and be like, oh, like I have to make this complicated like social structure in this city, and this city has this complicated like here's how the city operates. Here is the guard system. Here is how who who built the city and like why it's laid out the way it is. Like. Oh my gosh, that's a lot to deal with. Managing cities is a very many people job, right? And so you can't just like go in and be like, oh, here's exactly how everything operates perfectly the first time. That you're going to kill yourself doing that, especially if you're new at doing it. Just like start plopping things in that you enjoy. I uh, I feel attacked and uh, I don't know how to respond no, to No, no, I'm, t- I'm talking like, about uh, at the very I'll beginning. Court, yeah, it's, that's I'm talking at the very beginning, Zach, because I'm sure that you yeah, didn't I go in that. and, like, create a social structure of a city, like, within the first minute of when you started making things as a oh, DM, right? Oh, stupidly, you know did. I did. Okay, never mind. I know he did. But <laughs> you're right. I totally agree with you, yeah. You, if it's your first time doing this, Maybe just kind of go with the book. Get yourself a player's handbook. Read through that. Get yourself a monster manual. Read through that. Not you don't have to memorize it, of course. You don't even have to read everything. But that's a good place to start. D and D does provide the basics of a world and mm-hmm. a, a 
lore compendium, right? So. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I mean, like, generally by understanding a lot of the rules and a lot of, like, the kind of the blurbs that come along with a lot of things, you'll get a feel for how the system operates and how you can kind of build outwards from there. Because, like, I don't know, there have been times when I've looked at a cool spell and I'm like, I'm just going to make a whole thing just because this spell inspired me, right? Um, well, yeah. yeah. Like you were saying just, like, a, a couple seconds ago, right? Um Starting small is a huge thing. Like, when you're taking on this topic, right? You don't want to burn yourself yeah. out before you even get a chance to session zero. And making absolutely a whole world your first ever world, you know, in, 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 before you even run your first game. Like Zach was saying, maybe, maybe, maybe start small. Yeah. Maybe go that route. I would say, like, a good example yeah. for some of that is, like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of emergent... St- and, and and also, this comes with style, too. If you love world building, like Zach, like, this isn't us saying, oh, don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. That'd be ridiculous. Because if that's what you love doing, do what you love, right? But if you're also like, oh, I want, I really want to make something for my players, um, you know, kind of gauge yourself on that. Don't just go headfirst into doing nothing but world building because that can get exhausting if you don't know what you're in for, right? Because Zach does a lot of world building and he does it a lot because he loves it and he knows his capacity for it, right? But some people, okay, all right, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I just keep I just keep making incorrect statements. But I would say like for me, right, like I can sit down and do world building for a while while I'm passionate about it. But once I stop being passionate about it, I'm like, okay, like I need a shorter point or I need a shorter thread just to get from point A to point B, populate this with things that I'm passionate about and not worry about the superfluous and just have those come up when it's necessary. I think in a way, nothing is superfluous unless you decide it is, right? Sure. So that's the point of starting from like the basics is, hey, if you want to come up with like a 50-part incredibly complicated system of like interweaving checks and balances for ice cream in your game yeah totally do that do that if you want to make like the most complicated ice cream generator of all time for one stall in the fair do that if you want that ice cream flavor to be based on like the character's backgrounds and to be procedurally generated you do that damn but understand that if you do that you're not going to have time for anything yes. else. Yes. This is um, incredibly ridiculous for me to say because that is the nature of my existence. I seem to be comfortable completely and totally swamped in work. You guys were both part of the Space Western, and you know that I remade that game system <laughs> while we were you playing did. like yeah. four times yeah, yes. for no reason. We got um, – and by the end it was it, – like, it was a good game system, but the game we were playing and the game system we were using no longer meshed, yes. so everyone wound up having to be, like, these weird species from all these planets that <laughs> nobody had envisioned with their characters. It was a mess. Um, it was a... M- don't do that. It was- know your limits. You gotta be able to start the game yeah. at some point. Uh, you know, that... That's what I... Mean. That game, I think, is a very good example, right, of... What happens, and this is like not, I don't want to slight it, but like, I felt like, I, I feel like you world built a lot. And mm-hmm. like, 
like you come up with stuff that would be like opposite of what we were like what we were currently doing and then it just changed and you're like huh that's weird that's not how it used to work but I'm fine with it you know I'm going to I'm going to roll with the punches yeah yeah I think it that was a lot of testing that was very messy very sloppy uh, you know but it happens. was fun and big, and yeah. that's and that's just a testament to yourself yeah no, thank you. I, I would say that uh, that can that's kind of like the danger of kind of um, building as you go. I would say because sometimes um, the if you if you there's a difference between changing small things like being like here's this place and then like the surrounding area they walk fifty feet north and here's where it's what's there uh, versus like changing the broad strokes of world building like you know where people come from or how the system works in general. Um, I think there's a big difference yeah. in those two things. I think um, I, I totally agree. And also, I will say this. As someone who has done it far too often and will likely continue to do it because I cannot take my own advice, it is one thing to write the name of a place, stat out, like, like draw out the whole layout of this city, stat out, like, what kinds of people are within that city, stat, like, like describe how the government works, how the society works, how the economy works, and, like, flesh out this whole place and then have all that sitting in a document in your Google Docs and not mattering when the players actually get there and they go into the town and they spend two minutes there and then they leave. Or they go into the town and they spend a long time there and you end up portraying things incorrectly because you don't remember what you wrote. Mm. What I'm saying is if you want to do world building, you have to come up with a way that it matters. You have to come up with a reason. If just doing the world building is fun for you, cool. But if you want to run the game in the world that you're building, you have to integrate that world and the things that you've built with your part as a dungeon master. Mm. Write descriptions that are faithful to the things you built. Have systems that the, the characters can interact with um, that play into the greater themes of your world, right? Like, um, these are important aspects that get... Or that have been overlooked in my games before by myself. Mm. I've built worlds and then not cared while I'm playing that game, yeah. right? It's a, kind of a weird problem to have, but it is a problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'll say about that. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. You have to know how to implement it. It, it, can be, it can be hard because, like, I think I think there's it's there's so many different types of ways to do world building, right? And And it's difficult because not all of them function the same way for everybody. And there'll be times when, um, you know, you'll want to like, you'll just get super excited about building a city, but your players are like super far away. I have this problem right now in one of my games. I built this really cool encounter that I'm super hyped about. And then I thought my players were aiming towards it. And then they were like, no, this way instead. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. And, and, and it, it was interesting because I loved Every making time. the encounter, but at the same time, it was just like, oh, God, that can be exhausting when you put a lot of passion into something and then your players don't want to execute on that uh, immediately. And and I think that you really have to be able to understand that that passion will be put out there and then it's just going to sit in a void for a little while uh, if you do like these large strokes. Um, and you have to be able to recognize that you can come back to that, um, but it will take a little bit of time and you can't just like let yeah. yourself become worked up in that space while you're waiting for it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So let's let's maybe talk about some of the different aspects of world building, right? There's what you just talked about, which is building a thing for the game, building a specific encounter. So yeah. there's the things that you encounter in the game, the the people, the creatures, the the uh, nature, the wildlife, the environments. That's an aspect of world building that can be very environmental. For instance, a really good uh, example of this is Matthew Mercer, Critical Role, Campaign 2. There's two moons, and he's mentioned that about 50 times, but he's never brought it up for no reason. Mm-hmm. It always comes up usually through an action that a player took, right? Um, or usually th- through some kind of inquiry or something like that. And that will likely become important at some point, but um, it never was like ham-fisted in. So lore dumps are important, but know when to do them Mm -hmm. and how to do them and it's always better for a player to discover something by accident than it is for you to just feed it to them if you can help it yeah um so that's like that's like lore story building and and, or world building and that is actually kind of hard to do you have to have a way where you can interact with where you as a dm can interact with the stuff that you've made you have to have a way where you can quickly remember things or find things um or or even have markers for yourself that will alert you to when you're going to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say, "Oh yeah, hobgoblins, uh they come from this." And you've done you've built something for hobgoblins, but you're not referencing it, you need to remember that it's there yeah. somehow, right? You need to have that in your mind or on a sheet of paper in front of you or somewhere you can easily and quickly find it, some kind of reference. That's also something I've struggled with. I think my biggest issue with world building has to be coming up with specific reasons as to why this happened, you know, to make a domino effect of how it finally got to that point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Creating like a storyline creating or like a history, creating a history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so do you start from point, B and try and work I, backwards to point I, A or do you try commit, and move yeah. in different ways than that? I commit I think it's uh sort of a cardinal sin, right? Where I start at the end mm-hmm. and work mm-hmm. my way back. <clears throat> excuse me, and hopefully um so if I'm working on what when I'm working in reverse, right, I know yeah. where I want it to go. And I know how I want it to happen, but I have to build it in reverse off of what's happening in the present, what they do yeah. or anything yeah. that, that they do that affects something else in the background that changes something, right? I've had, yeah. I've had situations where they weren't, you know, they had a, there, there's one person in the party that could see this happen. Uh, and it's like it, it's going off of I believe, Alan, your uh, your DC chart. Yeah. Um, there's one person in the party that could even see this happening or spot this this event. Yeah. And it changes yeah. everything. Yeah. And it's happened. Absolutely. It's happened twice, and it's been Trey both mm. times. Yeah. Well, so like, mm. is do you? Hmm. Do you, I find myself trying to do a little bit of both, right? Like, so I will find my, my, the place that I want to go 
And then I will also sprinkle in other little things. Like one of my most favorite things to do in D&D is just kind of throw shit at the wall and then see if it sticks, yeah. right? <laughs> because like I will Emergent just say like like for example um like you will go to a blacksmith and I'll be like yeah, this blacksmith has some cool stuff. He looks like he's working on this weird sword. And then the players will be like, weird sword? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. And I didn't even know. Like, I was like, oh, like I just made that up like in the moment. And then I'm like, oh, look, it's got this cool metal. Yeah. And then they're like, what is this metal? And I say, oh, it's from this place. And then all of a sudden, they've got this intrigue on that. And they can follow that. They can not. But it makes the world feel whole, you know what I mean, or larger. Absolutely. Um, but then there's also times where I'm like, I'm kind of like trying to meet these two in the middle. Because, for example... When you guys in in Dawnguard campaign, um, when you guys first came upon Carrick, I was like, well, I guess this guy's like got to be a big piece of the story, right? I had no idea that he was going to be, um, you know, this time traveling guy, yeah, right? And no idea. But I I knew that Lancelot existed. I knew that Carrick existed, and I wanted to make sure that I kind of like brought those two threads together because it made you guys have to face the fact that this like guy that you were not really happy with. And this kid that you loved were like the same person, and in a in a certain yeah, sense, yeah, blew my mind when that happened. And so, but like the the cool thing Very is, like much. I like to have these like looming threads, but I don't necessarily like to tie them all off, right? Because then all of a sudden I get to cater mm-hmm. it to you to the players, right? And then all of a sudden I can kind of do some DM hand wavy stuff in the background to make it more interesting as yeah. we go. You know what I mean? Because it can be, Absolutely. it can be a part where like, Oh, that would be really cool if this happened, but I, I already wrote it down in my notes, but like, dude, I'm the fucking DM. It's whatever I want it to be. You know what I mean? So sometimes I find it just fun to just plot, like plop things in, see if they work. And if they do, then tie it back into the overall uh, canvas that I'm working on. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's emergent storytelling. That is an excellent way to go about it, especially if you're a new DM and you kind of want to build a world or not, um, and you don't know where to get started. Yeah. Honestly, just start playing. It'll happen on its own oh, yeah. more, more likely than not. Go, go with your gut instincts. And if that doesn't seem to be working, then maybe seek, uh, for other resources to, to help. But in my experience, that almost always works. Yeah. Player, humans are great, great at finding connections between things that do not exist. Yep. And oh, yeah. the cool thing is, in D&D, those connections can then be made to exist, you know? Um, yeah. Or you can make it even more complicated than that. And, yeah, the intrigue kind of just emerges on its own. Yeah. If anything, I think it's hard to run a D&D game where there isn't a big bad evil guy and there isn't a main storyline, right? Yeah. It's it's That's kind of a challenge because oh, yeah. you automatically want there to be. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, um, do you like them to make the big bad evil guy? while it's happening and you're like mm. that's pretty cool sure um, they can fight that guy it can, 20 it can be interesting that way yeah, yeah or like I mean, what so like what are you when you're saying you know no no quote unquote you know bad guy you don't want there's no one like what in in your mind like what goes through it when there's nothing right and it's just yeah, I mean, it's just them I think it emerges as we go, right? Because, for example, um, like in Dawnguard, you guys were interested in the Illithid, right? And you were interested in where Lance came from. And I was like, okay, well, who controls the Illithid? And then all of a sudden that became more important, right? And so yeah. as that came became more important, I had to have an answer for it. And then when I had the answer for it, there was a bad guy that was kind of looming over the entire world, right? 
So um, yeah, what about you, Zach? Yeah, and and that's exactly how that happens, right? Is you is the players ask questions and the DM goes, well, I don't have an answer for that, but maybe I could. Yeah. And then where would that lead? You know, um, I I think my preferred way to run a game in a way that I haven't been able to for a super long time because I also absolutely uh, tend towards big bad evil guys mm-hmm. towards central plot lines. My my favorite way is actually to just have stories, right? Separate, like, adventures, you might call them, where a lot of things will be all working into this one plot, which may or may not have a big bad evil guy. It might just have a misunderstanding. It might have um, something else like that. Um, and it's all working into this one thing, and then that thing ends. And it's maybe it is related to something else. Maybe it isn't. But in general, I like to have almost these, like, episodes, these these arcs within yeah. a campaign that may build up to one big one or may not. And I think either are okay. Um, I think a really good example of this is Matthew Mercer to go back and, you know, polish his boots mm-hmm. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I think he does an excellent job of starting very small and then having these arcs that go and go and go and go. And he tends to build up to a big bad evil guy. I mean, they fought Vecna. Yeah. Um, and the last couple of ones in the campaign one were very much related to one another. But um, I don't know. I think especially the way that he does it in the early game, that's my ideal way of running a D&D campaign. And I would love to run a D&D campaign that didn't have a big bad guy. It didn't have a big like storyline. Everything didn't end up being connected. It was a world on its own. It was a bunch of lifetimes on their own that were all interwoven yep. with one another. And that's... That's the core of world building is building a place and a story or a, a like number of stories for your players um, in D&D at least. Yeah. So we've talked about like hinting things and, and like tying things together and building things kind of procedurally just by whatever happens to pop up. Um, do you guys want to get into some more specific examples. Uh, I, I know I have something to talk about, and I think uh, Alan and Austin both have something to talk about as well. So For sure we can. Yeah, I would say, um, Zach, I think you should just hit it off, man. You're already yeah, on a roll, so you should get it going. You are on a roll. All right. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Zach's right, we'll go got first. this energy today, yeah. and I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm here for it, I'm, dude. I'm actually Thanks, even man. happier to be here now. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Yeah, so so Zach, what is your very nice. um what what are what is your example that you were working with? Specifically, it has to do with you and your campaign. Um I played a character called Moth who was Oh crap. He was a hobgoblin. Yes. He was a he was a goblin? He was, no, a, he was hobgoblin. a hobgoblin. I Yes. Um and essentially, uh I I I don't know how many of the viewers know of a certain webcomic called Goblins, I highly recommend you check it out. It is an excellent look at um, the D&D universe, especially from the 3.5 edition, and and kind of the innate racism that is built into it and and how that can be Mm. further complicated instead of just being discarded. Um, And I I try to live by that lesson and and kind of play into that aspect instead of leaning away from it in in my world building and in my DMing, Mm -hmm. but... um, uh, my my character in this game was kind of based upon some of the early premises of that webcomic, uh, wherein basically there was this, uh, there's this god in D&D, in the D&D canon, named Maglubiet. Maglubiet is the god of goblins and conquering, and basically just pretty generic evil god. Um, and 
I decided to take this character named Moth and play with this idea of this god, right? So essentially, the way that it has been described to me, and the, from what I have read, goblins in standard D&D and goblinoids, that's hobgoblins and bugbears as well, um, tend to amass. Each, each different variety of goblinoid has like a different... Um, general behavior bugbears band together in small uh uh, almost like prides and they kind of hunt humanoids to eat them because bugbears are of course innately evil um hobgoblins band together in these huge armies um and they will they pose the largest threat because they're um smart enough and organized enough to actually threaten kingdoms and stuff like that and goblins tend to live in these small tribes in the forests and kind of just scavenge for their own survival bugbears are too cruel and lazy to do anything for their own for themselves or to ascend to a higher form of society goblins are too stupid and and um uh brutish and hobgoblins are not which is exactly why they're so dangerous but hobgoblins are still evil Mm. innately all these races, as they are called, are still innately evil. I didn't really like that, so instead, I just blamed it all on Maglubiet. The way Maglubiet supposedly um, interacts with these goblins is that when his influence comes about, they band together into these giant hordes, and then they can pose a very real threat, because they are all more afraid of Maglubiet and the priests of Maglubiet than they are uh, lazy or brutish or um, prideful, you know? So... Essentially, Moth was from this one small tribe um, that actually had been separated from a larger horde when that horde was shattered in a uh, old war with the humanoids, um, and or the other humanoids, I should say, humans and elves mostly. Um, and that there was this one individual called a Goblin Slayer, or called the Goblin Slayer, who had used their divine magic to essentially um, go over this forest and strip the uh uh the goblins living there or the goblinoids living there including moth and his people from maglubiet's influence and then that person that goblin slayer assumed the position of maglubiet to those goblins and they used that deception to manipulate the goblinoids within that forest and cause them to become fodder so that the humans and elves could study them could uh get better at killing them could basically like learn and and like treat them it was almost like a secretive like like a concentration camp that you don't really know is there like these goblinoids basically spent generations and generations and generations being manipulated by these laws that were passed to them from these visions that their seers of Maglubiet and their priests of Maglubiet had, and none of it was actually from Maglubiet. It was all from mm. this dude who was manipulating them. Yeah. And so, long story short, Moth ends up shattering this this dynamic, and um, the Maglubiet then becomes aware of these surviving goblinoid tribes and annihilates them. Um, Moth at this point hates Maglubiet and most other goblinoids and hates uh, humanoids, specifically humans and elves, indiscriminately. And I played that character throughout uh, Alan's entire game. And over the course of that game, Moth uh, had uh, this young boy named Carrick, whom he grew to care for uh, enormously. Carrick was a human, um, and that kind of swayed his opinions. And at the end of the campaign, Moth was sort of given this second chance to live and to do stuff. And he decided 
that it wasn't going to be for him. He was going to live for goblinoids instead of for himself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he knew that Maglubiet still had this hold over all goblinoids, that there was still this perspective that goblinoids are innately evil, especially in that area. And they were still being slaughtered and they were their lives were still worth almost nothing and they were still being thrown away for no reason. And so I built Tolkiaku after the game. Tolkiaku is basically this civilization of goblins and goblinoids that threw off this yoke of Maglubiet and mm-hmm. threw off this this idea of evil goblins and automatically evil goblins. And uh, Moth, who was incredibly powerful at this point, he was, I believe, 20th level and had some ridiculous yeah. stats, very powerful magical items, etc., etc. Uh, an, an ally named Aurelius, who was literally capable of making extremely powerful magical items, and that was Jerry's character. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Barry's character. Yeah, I remember he lost his, his divine right to yep. use that name, so... Yes, no Eldritch <laughs> name anymore. I forgot. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was Moth, and that was the, the Tolkiaku. And they were very noble, they were very sovereign, um... And obviously they did a lot of fighting with against the forces of Maglubiet. They did a lot of fighting against the forces of, of humans and elves and humanoids. Uh, and most of all, they did a lot of figurative fighting for goblins and goblinoids. And that was... That honestly is a thread that I think kind of ties the Tolkiaku to uh, the civilization that uh, uh, you two uh, created. But that that started all of it with a character so that was my at like world building that i added into alan's game was was it was all from the perspective of this character this moth individual um and what and and the travels that he'd had and the experiences he'd had and what he thought was right for the world and what he decided to do with his power um i don't always world build like that but that was um the the dynamic that I wanted to take in this particular situation and that was the direction that I went with it um yeah 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 I, I think so that, that's that's a there you go sorry sorry no go ahead did you have anything else to add no that was it okay was cool it. no I was gonna yeah. say um I think that um that's one of my favorite things is allowing players to pull that in at the end of my campaigns is basically any player that plays in my campaign has an effect on it right it always changes, right? Anyone who yeah. comes into my world, um, if they're a, a mage and they make spells, those spells are added to a compendium that people could learn in my in my game, right? If a player yeah. makes a place, that place exists now. And then if a player, you know, makes a decision for a, a, like a, um, a race or a species, then all of a sudden that has roiling effects that move on through that. And sometimes allowing other people to make those decisions for me and then just stating them as a fact allows me to build worlds easier because all of a sudden it's i I didn't have to build that lore that lore was just made right and that lore is just there um so i don't even have to um do a lot but just because other people have enjoyed that and i recognize and respect their decisions in the game and make sure that those feel permanent that all of a sudden allows there to feel like there's more vibrancy and more life in the game because Absolutely. there's already think there are people who have lived in it and who have existed and made those decisions. Yeah. It is a wise thing to incorporate other people's ideas and inspirations into your game because it's re- you have to be pretty original 
to just oh, make yeah. it all up yourself. Oh, yeah. You could do it, but it'll take a lot longer Good and gosh. it'll be a lot more exhausting. Yeah, agreed. Well, you know. Yeah, what do you think about that, Austin? And, well, yeah. improvise, adapt, overcome. You know, three words that <laughs> yes. I live by when DMing. Okay, so I am 95% improv DM. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a high percentage right yeah, there. Very high you have a lot of midichlorians yeah. in your blood. Yeah. I improv a literal metric fuck ton. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, as you guys were just saying, no, that's let good. the players. I want the players to design all of it because it's ours, you know. I'm right. just the one that does the background yeah. work. I put the city there. I give it a little bit of flair, yeah. you know. Sure. I give the city a magic store, totally. maybe. But it, yeah. it all comes down to what they think would be sure. would be really really cool, would be interesting, something to to build on. So I like yeah. to take I, I take their input, yeah, and I turn it, spin it on its head if I need to. To okay. match what they're looking for, but to make it practical for me to like remember and use if I need to, that's that's yeah. sort of how I world build. It is you know I can sit down and I can write out the percentages of humans to elves to dwarves in these yeah. towns, but I don't want to do that. That's not fun yeah. for me. Yeah, what's fun for me with world building is coming up with ideas for certain places uh for people not names but just just ideas of characters <laughs> ideas of characters what they yeah. do yeah totally um who runs this certain city who runs this province or uh you know things of that nature and that's my favorite part when it comes to yeah you know building your world interesting I like that. Yeah, that's good. That improv, I mean, if you can't do improv, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. But if you can do improv, especially if you're good yeah. at it, you got a game. Yeah. Like, yeah, man. Definitely. I mean, I, I get that. That's actually an awesome way of kind of like blending the three styles that we have. It seems like Zach does a lot of prep work, a lot of building on his own. Um, it sounds like I do like kind of like story beat work and then let it kind of like mesh in as we go. Um, and it sounds like you just just throw it out there and you just kind of like link things as you're walking through the city. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And That's thankfully cool. it's worked up to this point. I've never really had the, the issue yet where, you know, where you try something and your players are like, eh, eh. Um, yeah. that is like, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, your awkward D&D experience. Um, because I, I, I know how they work. I know what they like. Okay, and I know how to make them uncomfortable, and sure. so I, I will run with that. Um, you know, and we've all had bad DM experiences. You guys have talked about this before. Um, you know, I've had idea, I've had stuff go not as planned that I thought of thirty seconds before, and it didn't work out. Yeah, that monster did way too much damage. I did yeah. not want to roll three. I did not want to <laughs> roll four twelves. That wasn't my idea, but it happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, like a monster. Um, in world, I think 
I think you can really put monsters, you know, creating your own monsters into world building too. And like, I yeah, will look at a stat block. Okay. This monster sucks. I want it to <laughs> not suck. Okay. Uh, how do you make it not how do you suck? Make it not suck. Okay. Well, this thing does, let's say, 2d6 slashing damage. But I want it to do more because I want this fight to feel a lot more significant. Sure. And I don't like to change things around very much. I, I somewhat like um, the raw monster manual. Uh Except for the uh, yeah. except for the CR, and I, like I do see the the point. Like as you have stated, like you can die, you could die to a, a flump, really. Um, yeah, if you're you stupid, can. right? Um, and and I'll and I'll, I'll lower numbers or unlucky <laughs> or a monkey. I'll I'll <laughs> lower numbers. I'll raise numbers. I will take this monster um, that I have now put into a lab and taken things from it, given it things. And I'll give it to a certain section of this world to make it be more important. Um, the, sure. Like my favorite, the the my favorite thing I've ever built has been a modified Katobopas. And if you've ever used a Katobopas against your players, lovely. If you haven't, highly recommend. Terrifying monster <laughs> to fight. Yep. Terrifying. They're they weird. They are, and yeah. You know, the big thing with Katobopasas is hags, right? Okay, well, I can make this Katobopas be a pet of a hag. Usually represents, like, hags, witches, and all that fun stuff. Well, I put this modified Katobopas up in a random spot. You don't need to go there. That's just where it is. But you go there, you're going to find it. You know, and it all depends on, you know, they don't need to go there, but... They wind up going to this place and they end up fighting this genetically modified thing that has been a terror to these citizens of this this small little hole-in-the-wall town. Mm-hmm. And it's just been wrecking havoc on this on this place. And you know, that's just stuff that yeah. you know, they don't know that. You know, that's mm-hmm. like that's my and it's 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 sort of a I like I will build on the move, like I, I like sure. that's what I did. Interesting. Like if there, I had a little place. I put a dot on the map months before they even like ran into this. I said that's a place, and if they go there, something fun will happen. Sure. Yeah. Did you know what the fun thing was? You just said Katolopos. One hundred percent. I wanted to put a Katolopos okay. in my game. I wanted. It's. I've never gotten to use one until months ago, and. I actually got my first kill. Huh? Oh no! <laughs> with, with the, the with the with yes, the Katoblapas? They failed. They oh my god! They failed oh, the save. Uh, they failed the save by uh, ten, and I believe. Oh my god! <laughs> the That's actual Katoblapas thing. I think if you fail by more than five or something, you just die. Like you go, you die. Yeah, it's, wow. it says. Well, no, if you if you. Uh, the target dies if reduced to zero yeah, hit points by this ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that ability? Is that the, it's yes. gaze? Oh, okay. That's yes. intense. Yeah. But I knew I wanted one. I knew I wanted Fucking to hell, use man. one. 
Yeah. And it all yeah. depended on, like, they didn't have to go there. I don't like to railroad. I, I let them do whatever they want. They don't need yeah. to follow the main storyline oh, yeah. that I have. I just put it out totally. there, and if they like it, they like it. It's plain and simple. I think, yeah, I, I think actually that kind of really pulls into stuff, like, where I think it's kind of easy just to, like, throw, like, monsters on a board, mm-hmm. right? But what will really make, like, here's one of my biggest tips for um, making a world feel vibrant. Um, create encounters, not battles, right? Because if I say, like, okay, well, there's this, there's this Katoboplas, Kataboplas here, <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, that's cool. But, Canon name. But <laughs> why, why is this Kattywampus here? Um I don't yep. know. Like, if I'm like, if they get here and they're like, there's a cattywampus in the middle of this town. And I'm like, yeah. And then they go like, why? And I say, hmm, sure wish I knew. Right? But, like, that's cool because, like, you have, like, this cool backstory to it. Um, you want to be able to provide that stuff for your players. Um, when you can give them small pieces of lore that go with it or um, things like that, or an encounter when that happens, it will make the world feel more vibrant, right? So, like, for example, there was this one time my players were in a tomb, and I may have talked about this on this podcast before. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there were this one time these pl- my players were in this tomb, and they were trying to get through this door. It was basically sealed shut, and then all of a sudden, these pillars in this room started shooting them with fire. These Egyptian carvings oh. that were on these pillars started moving and casting fire out of them. But every time they did, there were these runes on the walls that would light up and send magic to the pillars. And then the pillars would fire fire out of them in cones. And so if you were like in the middle of all these pillars, you could get hit with all four. But you could use the pillars to block some of the fire and things like that. And then over time, they realized that it was very difficult to damage the pillars, but super easy to damage the um, the runes on the wall where this magic came from. And so yeah. adding small puzzles into combat encounters like that really spices things up and make it feel like, oh, wow, like I get to discover and solve this as well while I'm doing that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a puzzle every time, but making it an encounter where it feels like there's a lot of things going on or the world is larger than just swinging a sword always makes me feel like it's a more interesting piece of world building. I actually really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's cool. I, I think that's super interesting. And and you can I mean you could dive into all kinds of stuff there. It kind of depends on your players. You gotta that's a, an aspect. You gotta know what your players are after, right? So a really inquisitive player might be like, oh, what are these runes? What are these carvings? Who built this temple? Like and ask a bunch yeah. of stuff. Maybe even go do research next time you're in a city or a town. Yeah. I don't think most players will do that, especially <laughs> like early players. Yeah. And that actually can also be a thing with DMing that I definitely run into where I'm like, there's this thing. And everybody's like, cool. And I'm like, what? <laughs> there's this whole thing. That's but it's weird. cool. That's not weird to you? Oh, oh, okay. All right. I don't know. if I think I've told the story of the crystal ball before on yeah. this podcast, but that's a good example. I would love for you to say it again. Whole, it's a good story. All right. Okay. Yep. Here's the... Here's the story of the crystal ball. Story of the crystal ball is I was a very early DM. This was, I think, one of my, if not my first games that I ever DM'd. And I like was like pretty much just 
like, okay, go here, kill this thing, get paid, go here, kill this thing, get paid, like, very much, like, loot-based gameplay, v very little innovation going into it, but I was like, no, I'm gonna build a thing, so I built a storyline, I built this whole thing where there was, like, this, I think it was, I don't even remember the whole story now, but there was, like, a sorcerer or something who had, like, kidnapped someone and i was inspired by lord of the rings with like the ball things that they looked the through, palantir the, the, and the like scry the palantir thank you palantir sorry what a, yeah. um pronounce it however and so i was written I, down in books it, it does the, no see you'll be fine with it but the lord of the rings fans will like impale me and i don't really yeah, want that sorry my apologies go, go on week. talk about your pantalar yep my pantalar <laughs> uh uh basically i made this magic items shop and it was very run down and kind of you know middle of nowhere but it was a magic item shop so it's automatically going to attract these particular players who were kind of murder hobos and then there was this crystal ball in this magic item shop and it was like the only thing of real value in there but as soon as they looked at it the old storekeeper was like oh you want that yeah you could just take that along with whatever else you're gonna buy and they're like really you're not gonna charge us and he's like nah i believe they passed a persuasion check or something maybe it was an intimidation check if we're being honest it was probably an intimidation <laughs> check again murder hobos um and they got the storekeeper to tell them yeah so actually uh, uh i found that on the side of the road or something i don't maybe somebody came in and sold it to him i really don't remember the story at this point but um, I, ever since I got it, I've been having these horrible nightmares and I'd really just appreciate it if someone would take it off their hands or off my hands. And, uh, you know, big, strong barbarian who's holding this, uh, crystal ball looks at the crystal ball, looks at the storekeeper and says, you don't want this? Storekeeper says no. And the barbarian throws it on the ground and it shatters into a billion pieces and my entire plot arc is ruined. <laughs> In one second. Amazing. That was the day that I vowed. To murder all of everyone who ever played in any of my games. <laughs> to torture oh, them. Oh, man. Um, you gotta know what your players are gonna be into and what they're not gonna be into. That was a cool storyline and probably would have worked with m many other games. Yeah. But those players were there for exactly what I had been giving them. They, they had come to expect, go here, kill thing, murder, get paid, continue. You know, like, control all... Control C. No, I'm not even gonna... I don't remember... Control yep. C, control, control B. Copy paste. Yep. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um. And they weren't they that they weren't into it. They, I mean, they may have been into it actually, but they just were on a path of destruction and murder and had been since the start of the game. They had, they were wanted in like four different cities and towns. Jeez. So I probably should have expected that as soon as they found something that someone else thought was worthless, it would be worthless to them as well. Right. Um. And that is a good example of world building, storyline crafting, and and preparing for a game in the wrong way, in a way that was destroyable. And honestly, in that moment, I probably should have just said, "Oh no, it's fine. It doesn't shatter." But brain went. That's made a glass crystal ball shattered. <laughs> but a strong barbarian stone floor. So, yeah, that's the story of the crystal ball. Yeah, there you go. I'm glad to hear that. I, I think you've told that like my three pain. times before, but I just I like making you say the whole thing every time that we get to Thanks, it. Thanks, Alan. You are my greatest friend. <laughs> um, well, fine. I'm going to turn it right around then and be like, "Hey, you should talk about Krieg." Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So, um, uh, do you want to give a little bit of backstory, Austin, on on the Krieg? <clears throat> the Krieg, Krieg Mazelda. So, I. And I don't like to toot my own horn very often, but I 
and the reason that Dawn Guard happened. Um, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> wanted to play D&D oh, wow. more. Was playing in Zach's game, Space Western Cowboy Superpower game. Wanted more D&D. Yep. It was. I had fun, but I wanted more D and D. So, yeah, we started the Dawn Guard. Alan had an idea, and I was like, "Cool, let's do it." Uh, we run with it, and you know, g- given um, uh, unfortunate life circumstances at the time, uh, I had to uh, I had to go from where we were. Uh, to where I am now. Um, and so I could not be in the Dawn Guard anymore. So, mm-hmm. which, which sucked. And, you know, and at the time, you didn't like playing online, which which was fine, and I understood. It's not for, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so we ended off uh, with little Through Door, uh, Through Door Barnard, uh, killing his uh, orc father, stereotypical, yes. Um, uh-huh. However, very, very fun uh, fight. Probably my favorite fight that I've ever had. Um, mm-hmm. And after Thrudor killed his father, he took claim of this orc tribe that was living in uh, big... And if, I, if I'm recalling right... Here, Alan, uh, the beginning Krieg was very like not ru- like not ru- ramshackle. I think that's more the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So, do you want me to give you like the, ba- the yeah, rundown of the? Let's, let's get the base the base rundown of the Krieg, how it started. Yeah, sure. So basically, there was a Goliath tribe that lived in this northern region, right in the in these place called the Igrasil Frostlands, and so um, don't and, name what would you say? Is that dope name? Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I loved. I loved name. having those. Um, and they were they were descendants of frost giants, right? And so there were a couple frost giants that were around with them. And through some unfortunate circumstances and some necromancy, um, they essentially became living, walking zombies, and there weren't really any of them left. Um, but uh, this town that they had still existed, although it became more and more dilapidated as they basically became zombies. And in this moment, a large beam of light burst through the ground as these different ley lines were starting to pop up across the um, across the world. And all of a sudden, this mountain or th- this like short mountain just kind of like burst into existence in the center of this area. And this this old Goliath town kind of like got shot up to the side. Um, this drew the interest of an orc tribe and they came in and they just started digging trenches closer and closer and closer to these goliaths that were just continuously shambling towards them and they would try and kill them and then every night they would get back up and so they started figuring out ways that they would get rid of them they would basically take this giant catapult and they would just catapult their bodies back across this giant wasteland and just (laughs) 
Yeah, what would happen was, like, they would come over, they'd die, and then they'd stick them all in this catapult, and they just fucking ye yeet them across <laughs> the... Holy shit! Yeah, they would yeet them across this frost land, um, wow. back to where they were, because they were just like, I, I don't want to, I don't want them to come back to life in the middle of our camp, so they just had this catapult, and they just flew their bodies across the entirety of this, this area, and then they would Ooh. eventually start shambling back. Um, and this was just a ne an ongoing thing, and they would dig these trenches closer and closer and closer to try and find a way to get to this ley line and take control of it and use that to basically dismantle the the never-ending life of these uh, undead Goliaths, right? And so mm -hmm. what happened was Thrugdor's dad was the leader of these um, of these orcs because he wanted a lot of power. And obviously, big magic thing in the sky, it's very easy to look at that and go, ooh, ah, big power, and just walk towards it like a fly to yep. a flame. So, or a moth to a flame, Kappa. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was basically, <laughs> that was basically the whole structure of it. There was uh, a lot of, um, a lot of dug in trench kind of structure there. And then eventually, that became the basis uh, for the Krieg. Um, and the only thing that I've really come back to, um, as Thrugdor kind of finished up all of this and, um, you know, kind of revolted against his dad and him and his sister took control of the Krieg, um, all of a sudden there was this new desire for modernization. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, also? and as Zach stated uh, many, many minutes ago, he absolutely did not like the fact that uh, you know, he was a half-orc, um, right. and did not like how the orc side of him was portrayed in society. Right. And I myself, I, you know, I, I don't like, you know, I don't like how drows are bad people, and all, all right. of them worship Lulth, yeah. uh, and yeah. how, oh, oh, goblins, gotta kill, gotta kill, eat, eat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's like the bad part with some races in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't want that. I want, yeah. you know, why can't an orc be an extremely civilized person? Why An orc does not need to be ferocious murder, murder all the time. And so that was my whole thing yeah. was I wanted to make orcs a respected race. I wanted to turn yeah. them from the bloodlust to being a normal person. Yeah. You know, so, and it took a lot of time in game. While everyone else is doing their own thing, I'm back at the Krieg. We're building the Krieg up to non-ranshackle, uh, making it a respectable place, and, you know, going through rehabilitation with all of us to try and turn yeah. them yeah. into modern day people yeah um do you want me to tell you some of the lore that i've given other people for the krieg as they've asked I about it i would love to hear that yeah um so actually the uh the krieg is now this kind of like mystical yep, land the in, the, in the far north and and what happened is it's there's it's just still in the middle of this snowstorm but there's like an, a wide open area in the middle of the snowstorm where the um the 
ley line pokes out and just stops all the snow from being able to go down because it's too hot in the in the area where the ley line is. It's this like oasis in the middle of this frost like ridden tundra, right? And so what happened actually is they said, oh wow, no one's ever even gonna come here. Um, and they all of a sudden had no like real battles to like fight all the time. Although they would like do a lot of hunting for sport and things like that. Often this led them to be able to spend a lot more time on intellectual pursuits. And so they actually will go out and they will get information and bring it back. And so far they've built this just like massive library of information. Um, and they are extremely studious people. And um, they are oftentimes kind of like, no one really knows it, but they are, um, they're oftentimes one of the biggest conglomerations of information in the world because no one really expects because of the preconception of yep. orcs for them to be trying to go out and look for that right and so mm. actually there's this there's some of the culture i've kind of worked on is that like there's this preconceived notion that orcs are really dirty and gross right and they never they're stinky and they never do anything but actually the krieg orcs um they bathe every day and they are pristinely kept. They they consider their bodies to be these uh, temples of what they put into the world, right? They want to show people that this is what they work on every day. They, they exercise, they make themselves stronger, and they want to show that as almost a canvas of how hard they work, right? And so they will put tattoos on themselves to show off their canvas, and they will clean themselves every day and use different types of um like wild uh foliage to make different like perfumes and colognes to make themselves smell really nice um they all have long hair most of the time and all, a lot of them will put this into just like these intricate braids and they will keep incredible care of their hair to show people this deep desire to make it so that they have this um they have this cultural understanding of like each braid means something different like one would mean that you're a warrior and one means that you are a librarian and one would mean that you have a deep interest in the arts right and it doesn't you don't necessarily have to wear these braids but it is often understood that you will add these intricate designs into your braids to try and show how you like to interact with the world um and then interesting yeah and so i have used a lot of that to try and give them a lot more of this interest in all of this and a lot of them actually uh are now very in tune with magic because <laughs> they have a lot of the ability to spend time next to this ley line they they are basically yeah, sapping magic off of this inherently and they're very studious so most of the time they're kind of like halfway between a sorcerer and a wizard because they've got a lot of time to be studious and they've got a lot of time to be around this ley line where they just kind of sap magic off of it and sure. so um yeah that's that's basically the lore i've given and, people so and far. i easily could have seen uh through door wanting to shift away uh not fully but shifting toward um that type of Lifestyle. I had in my mind, um, after the last session, you know, as I'm describing the creed, I this place 
I wanted it to be a utopia of sorts. I wanted this to be a place where I wanted it to be the land of misfit toys, right? I sure. wanted this place. It's inclusive. I, that's the biggest thing that, that he wanted was for if you are an outsider, you can come here. You can feel at home because we're all weird, right? We're orcs mm-hmm. and we don't want to rip your head off. That's weird. You know, that's what yeah. that's what he wanted to make this place is a yeah. place where you can feel welcomed regardless of what you, or who you are. Right. Sounds like we right. had very similar visions. Yeah, and definitely, I, I think. Yeah. But executed. Yes. And I believe Moth took inspiration um, because seeing how Thrugdor was able to command these orcs that he brought with him to the uh, the final battle, which uh, if I'm if I'm if I remember right, that's what Moth or you said something along those lines of uh, how you could turn an orc away from being what they were into being modernized. Yeah. Hmm. He was impressed and surprised because on a, on some level he'd been kind of questioning whether the the savagery was innate yeah. or whether it was learned yeah. and that proved to him that it was learned if an orc can learn to be better then surely so can a goblin right but we did execute it in different ways it sounds like the krieg became their own culture and became like this um uh they they rebelled very hard against what it was to be an orc Definitely. right because right. what it was to be an orc was kind of like yes bad sure yeah <laughs> uh it was very savage well, like and violent. I don't think. Yeah. Yes, it was. I think Moth recognized that it was pigeonhole. What what it was to be a goblin or a goblinoid was also pigeonholed. But he didn't rebel against it the same way that the Krieg did. The the Tolkiaku are still. They're not savage by any stretch of the imagination. They are very civilized, but they are still very violent, and they are still. Uh, uh, he he ter- he took what was originally xenophobia and hatred for everyone else and turned it into a kind of sovereignty but mm. it's still there it's just different within them they are um tolkiaku mm. before they are goblins they are it is a very like um almost like nationalist society sure. and i i w- i'm under no illusions as zach that what moth built was good in some ways and problematic in other ways right. and i think that that is Na- just naturally how that's going to happen because it's one individual trying to design an entire society that has no flaws it's just not going to work um but i i like that they are in different scenarios mm-hmm. and i like and and that has affected them the 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 krieg are uh very protected and very shielded from the outside world and so not as many people know of them whereas the tolkiaki are kind of front and center and that has made it so that more people potentially know of them and of the I don't know if you would call it nobility, but maybe the nobility of goblins, or mm-hmm. specifically the nobility of the Tolkiaku. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has made it so that they've had to fight a lot more to maintain that. They've had to keep many aspects of their warlike ways and even develop them further in order to hang on to their sovereignty, in order yeah. to stay the Tolkiaku yeah. and not just goblinoids. Yep. You know, 
I think that's very interesting. I think that these are two really good examples of players supplying the DM with an idea yeah. and the DM taking it and running with it and building it into the world and integrating it. Because if, as a DM, you don't integrate it, then you can kind of lose per- perspective of a greater collective world, I think. And and you have to integrate it. You have to, on some level, you have to take all of that noise from what is created and build it into something stronger. Your players will do that on a certain level on their own, but sooner or later, if you put enough things into the world, they will become incongruent with one another, I think. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's super important to to do like when you when you show a player that what they the decisions that they make in a game have an impact they will want to make more impactful decisions right i agree because like if i say zach like this makes a change or if i say uh if i say austin this makes a change this this changes how things work then you guys will want to be invested in making those decisions that make changes right oh yeah absolutely 100 percent that that is so, my favorite thing about yeah. world building is letting letting them impact how things work. Yeah, yeah, totally. Very cool. Well, gosh, guys, cool. I think that well, was a dope conversation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, to to summarize, if for those who are looking for notes, um, start where you want to start. Start small. Um, build one thing at a time. Do not try and build a bunch of stuff all at once. And if you do have a larger picture for what you want to build, do it in compartments that you can use before the, the grand Ooh. piece is done. Like putting it in a um, block and, and working on it. Exclusive. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Like if you're like, oh, I want to build this whole culture. Okay. Build the name of the culture. Build like mm, a character who's from that culture. Mm-hmm. Build a city. Build, mm-hmm. you know, this and this and this and build up to it don't don't go all right i'm gonna design this whole thing in a week no because you're not going to and it's going to be exhausting if you do right um integrate other people's ideas whether that's your players or uh inspiration from outside the world what you're building is presumably not going to be published so you can kind of just do whatever you want um we didn't talk about it but music music is a great way to world build if you have a song or a theme that always plays like a type of music that always plays when you're in one place. One thing I really like to do is a uh, uh, handpan uh, <laughs> uh, is a really weird kind of relaxing um, uh, type of music. I like to have like maybe one or two cities or areas where handpan music will play every time they go there and they instantly know where they are and yeah. they instantly recognize it. Um, that Just stuff like that, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's general notes for, nice. for building. Um, it can work really well to start with a character. Yeah, totally. And and build from there. See what they... Because then you have kind of a perspective of what someone would want. You know, their personality. And you can build the world from there. Right. Um, Totally agree. Yeah. It was really nice to see Zach in his natural world-building habitat throughout this whole thing. (laughs) It's like now you can truly understand that kind of animal. And getting... (laughs) Like like listening to the the words that you're saying and and then processing it. Hmm. Like, holy hell. Yeah. He is Thanks, on a different level than I with world building. And 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 that's <laughs> that's something that should be taken into account too. Um don't try compare yourselves not in a bad way. You know? Um you don't wanna you don't wanna Mercer effect yeah. yourself. You yeah, do not want to yes. Mercer effect yourself. Yes, 
Absolutely. Or even just like with with people exactly. that you know, right? Because like I think the Mercer effect kind of like it, it travels outwards. Like Zach writes stories a certain way. You write stories, oh, Austin, yes. a certain way. Mercer writes some stories a certain way. We're not all going to do it the same way because if we try and be someone that we're not, yeah. then it's just going to mm-hmm. make a problem, right? You got to find the best way that works for you, and that will be the most compelling game. If you try to copy another DM or somebody else or what they're doing, it's not going to work as well. It's not going to be as genuine, and you're not going to be able to keep up that level of quality as well as if you find your best way. Right. You, it's like art. You got to find what, the way that you draw, the way that you paint, the way that you sing. Right. Wow. Hitting it on the head. The words of oh My gosh. All words right. of wisdom. Yeah. Just, it's... it's <laughs> It's really Mind nice blown. to see, you know, how you guys specifically do what you do, right? I, I have played in games run by both of these fine gentlemen, and I have loved every second playing in said games. But it's nice to take it from a third, uh, a third, uh, third person point of view here, is I'm looking, mm-hmm. I'm looking down and in, you know, instead of looking right in the face. And it's nice to it's yeah. nice to see Thanks, how yeah, thank you. how they do it, uh, comparing it to how I do it, and vastly different strategies across the board. Yeah, and I think that's a nice thing to to look yeah. at to analyze yourself. And maybe that's no, the I I appreciate Sorry, the no you no no, 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 okay, no, you, go no you go ahead. Okay, no, you go ahead. Wait, okay, wait, no, Austin, go ahead. All right, yeah, Zach, go ahead. Fuck! Um, I don't even remember what I was gonna say now. <laughs> I have a. I oh, have an ending. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I really appreciate having like a more improv focused oh, DM God, because man. I think Alan is on a level. I kind of am, but re- I really was earlier on in my D and D career, and I decided that I didn't like happiness <laughs> at some point, and so I left that behind. Um, but no, it's it's a really valid and really interesting way to DM, and I, I think it's I honestly sometimes I try to push myself back into that. Like I'll I'll do a one shot where I'm just a improv DM because if you when you get good at it, you, man, you get good at it. And it's, you did it's, do a, an improv one shot one time with me. Funniest did I game? What was that I've one? ever played in? Biscuit liquor. <laughs> Oh no! Do what you was it? Remember the fable oh, of biscuit liquor? My God. <laughs> Wait, no. Hello, <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh no! Fucking biscuit liquor! Oh my God! <laughs> oh, no. Who the fuck is biscuit liquor? Oh my God! I, that was like a that's like a haze in my memory. I only vaguely remember that entire night. I just remember biscuit liquor and. <laughs> laughing so hard I almost threw up. It was That's literally it. That's all you know. it was literally a guy I played a wizard who played an instrument and Zach's like, why don't you play Bard? I'm like, no, <laughs> I wanna be a wizard who plays an instrument. And there was a an adorable, lovely DMPC biscuit licker who licked every biscuit he could find. And at the end of it all Okay. I went I went a little mad with power even, in that particular one shot. I made a lot of biscuits funny. for myself to lick. <laughs> it was it was definitely funny. It was uh, very freeform. Like, yeah. it's a, <laughs> that sounds very much like the binacorn. The binacorn. It sounds very yeah. like just kind of put oh, stuff it, in it, there. It really it was. was. Yeah. 
If anything, it was actually less structured than that. If you'll believe that, <laughs> it was. He had a he had a fanny pack, but inside the fanny pack was the biscuit oh. dimension. Oh my god! I, it was the land of infinite biscuits. <laughs> can you? Can, okay, uh, okay. Let's let's recenter. Let's recenter here. <laughs> let's get off of the you land. You cannot recenter after biscuit get liquor. Off of the land there is of no there is no order after ultimate Do you chaos. Remember the biscuit liquor voice. Can you show Alan the biscuit liquor voice real quick? I think it, it was like this. <laughs> it was biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Amazing. basically just pictured like a teenager edging and that was, that was the place. okay for the right. whole game oh, okay man. okay okay <laughs> amazing uh no so my last point which might be a little less like or a little too structured for the chaos that is the end of this podcast right now um my last thing was gonna be just like Look at the people yeah. around you for inspiration. Yeah. And sometimes you may just want to improv. And sometimes you may want to build an encounter. And sometimes you may want to build an entire place before your players get there. Try it all out. Give it a go. Because, like, you'll never know exactly what you like un- unless you get to a place where you you try it out. And I would say take inspiration from everybody, but don't compare yourself against them. Use them as a bouncing board to try and find what you like and what all works for you. That's a. I very much agree. Just don't do crystal ball and don't do biscuit liquor. Don't do biscuit liquor. Don't do crystal ball. Yeah, easy peasy. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's the closing bit for us. Yeah. I. We close on biscuit liquor. Reminiscing oh, and, good. and connecting with you guys once more. Yeah, for sure, buddy. Yeah, I think that absolutely there are absolutely. some other episodes that we'd love to have you on oh, for, so definitely please. keep up and we will we will definitely have other places to talk to you about things. Wow. I, I can't believe this totally. is the end of the show already. I know. It's it went by it goes very quick. Fast. Um, okay, everybody, do you have anything else to say? Uh, Austin, do you have anything else you'd like to do sign off with Do I have something first? to sign off with? In terms of wanting to be a DM and in terms of world building, yes. Um, have fun with it. If, if you aren't having fun, yeah. change something up. If that doesn't work, try something else. Do it different. You can be a DM. Yeah. Anybody can be a DM. I've had people ask me, do you think I'd be a good DM? Uh, probably. Probably. Try it. Yeah. Try you it. won't know unless As you long as you're try. not a dick. Yes. Don't be a dick. But try. And if it doesn't work out, try something else. You can be a dick as long yes, as you're also that's, that's, funny. Yes. Okay, that's fair. Then it can work out. You can be a funny but dick. Yes, that, that is my, my parting words here is keep yeah. trying. And yeah, anyone sure. can do this. If I can do this, you can do it. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I hate it so much. I hate all the words. All right, I'm, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. I'm, I, stop. <laughs> Did you re- stop your recording? You stopped? <laughs> it's gone. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Biscuits. I guess. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. The fact that you have made it here to the end means the world to us. 
If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with your friends, or if you have the time, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is a great way to show support. You can follow us on Twitter at A Journey's Rest, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash A Journey's Rest Podcast. If you have any questions for us to answer, you can send them in to journeysrestpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for sharing the precious pieces of your time with us, and we hope that the rest of your day is just as wonderful. See you again at our table soon.